0: Gaming NBS episode 169 coming to you Wednesday, December 13th, 2017. Welcome to Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG Podcast.
1: I am one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you all here.
0: Yeah. I sound like back. crab
1: still, Sean. I've still got Brett. this cold.
0: Brett, if you could refrain from coughing up a lung onto your microphone, that would be greatly appreciated.
1: I will. I make no promises, but I'll do what I can.
0: That's awesome.
1: Right. So let's just get right into it, man. We got some cool stuff today. So announcement-wise, Evercon 2018, that is January 5, 6, and 7. Submissions and pre-reg to get a discount on your badges for the three-day con. Open until December seventeenth. So get that shit done if you're gonna come. Be great to see some B.Sers there and so on. I know we got Chris Steele, I got Corey Win, Dave Win, uh, a number of other folks. It'll be a lot of fun. We're gonna try to drag Sean up there. We'll see what happens there. Um, let's see here. Oh, and congratulations to Eli Kurtz, the man, the myth, the Blackwood legend himself. He has uh, just uh, recently gotten married. So congratulations, Eli. Good on you, man. Sean and I both had a chance to meet Eli in person this last game, and a scholar and a gentleman he is. He's a great dude. So best of luck, man. And uh, Sean, so uh, what's uh, what's cooking? Who we got on with us here?
0: Oh, my God. All the way from Milwaukee, he's author, blogger, writer, and game designer. His credits include Shadowrun, Star Wars Saga Edition, Firefly RPG, creator of Camelot Trigger, Mafia Century Encore, Save Game, and Girls Heist Out. Other projects include other popular titles like *Knights Black Agents, 13th Age, Chill 3rd Edition, Vampire the Masquerade, 20th Anniversary. You can find him penning articles on Geek and Sundry and Onion AV Club. Please welcome Rob
1: Wheeland. Yay, Rob! Thank you for having so me. So Rob, when I first met you... <laughs> Sorry, I totally stepped on you there.
2: It's all right. Thank you, guys, for having me on the show. Um, I I feel like this is going to be a an excellent uh, experience, and the closest I'll be uh, able to get onto the Muppet Show, so it'll be it'll be fun.
1: <laughs> when I first met you, I'm like Rob Whelan, Where do I know that name? I know that name. And Sean started going through a list of things you've done. I'm like, damn. If I don't have a book that's got Rob's. Working it somewhere in my collection, I, I'm missing something. But holy shit, dude, you have a wide corpus of stuff you have worked on. Wow.
2: Yeah, I uh, I get that a lot. Um, uh, I it's it, it, it's been a, a very nice, long, uh, and wide career of just working on a variety of things, um, both uh, 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 that have sprung from me as well as being able to work on. Uh, games and properties that you know I was a big fan of as a kid, um, and it's been a great experience that, to be able to touch a lot of those properties and you know leave an, an impression on them. You know, after uh, loving them for years and years and years and years. But it's also really cool to have uh, stuff that I've uh, put out there that people you know respond to it positively and and you know make you feel like oh sometimes because it, it, sometimes it, it seems like you're you can be sort of screaming into the void when you're a, a creative and um, it's nice to find those opportunities to have people who come up to you and you know talk about their experiences with your stuff and and make it feel like you're actually connecting with people like 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 I, I'm if you if you uh, come up to me at a con or whatever I, you have absolute permission to tell me about your character that is uh, as long as it is, you know, something that I, that I worked on because because uh, I think it's really, really cool to see what people do with my stuff once uh, once it leaves my hands and goes out into the universe.
1: Very cool. Well, OK, before we get into Random Encounter, I got to ask you this question. And you, you write for the A.V. Club for The Onion, right? Uh, yeah. So did you know Joe Garden?
2: No, I, I only did um, a couple of pieces for the National uh, and then I mostly okay. did stuff with the uh, the local Milwaukee AV club, um, and then and then once those Got it. once those offices closed, uh, they then uh, a lot of those folks actually moved on uh, to become uh, a great website called Milwaukee Record, um, and they're a pretty good uh, local uh, alt weekly that's online. Um, and, I, and I sort of cover the, okay. I, I sort of cover the, the nerd beat for them here in Milwaukee, um, which is a weird beat to have in the first place. But hey, you know what? Um, like for example, there are going to be several barcades that are opening um, in Milwaukee, uh, and I'm am probably going to be the guy that they send to like you know go order a drink, see how it is, what what cool games are there like, and that's kind of a Fair. a neat thing to to be able to do.
1: That is very cool. The reason I asked about Joe Garden is he actually, my bizarre little onion claim to fame, is he and a couple other guys went to high school with my wife. Oh. And uh, so I, I bump into Joe periodically at, like, class reunions and stuff, and that dude is fucking, he's a blast just to hang out with. Me. Anyway, so on we go. Random encounter, Sean, shall we? Random encounter. <laughs> All right. This is,
0: Rob, this is the segment of the show where we feel listener feedback Comments from social media, etc. Okay. All right, Brett.
1: So feedback on episode 168, just the previous episode. Michael Phillips and Edwin Nagy got in on it here. Michael says eating an elephant by yourself takes a bunch of pre-planning and side work. You had to prepare it and butcher it, preserve it, smoke, jerky, deep freeze, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then you need to work out how to. Um, how to add a lot um of the bits in a way that you aren't going to get sick of it contingency planning for high likelihood of high impact contingencies is good so we uh i I dropped the eating an elephant piece last episode um rob so that probably makes no sense to you but it makes sense to anybody who listens to the last episode so anyway thank you michael
0: which Edwin continues, Michael, I'm totally with you. i planning for likely high-impact events. I think Brett was a little rough on Sean on that front. <laughs> a good PM always plans for things that could go wrong, even while ignoring the what-if-you-were-an-elephant scenarios. This should include upside risks, too. What if this is way more fun than I thought and I want to increase to every week? But if I have awesome players and co-GMs,
1: and so, Sky, so Sky chimes in. I was going to say, Edwin, that's a good point. And I was being a little rough on Sean. I wanted to whack him around a little bit and make him uh, make him squirm a touch and get him off his ass. So I think that happened. So I think it worked. But your points are indeed well taken, sir.
0: Yeah, Sky continues, dude.
1: Yeah, and uh, Sky says, uh, Sean, um, for the what do we do if the players don't make it back problem, I have two ideas. One, Metafix. Everyone agrees at the end of a session. Dungeon done or not, the party would head back to town. In-game, you could say it's because of exhaustion or some other resource. Then they talk about it on a G-plus page, and the other players try their hand at it, or they return the following session. Two, the players are all part of an adventuring company, and uh, part of their required kit is a ring of recall that teleports them back to the guild hall after X hours. Figure out the reason why in the whole group, uh, figure out the reason why with the whole group, players and GMs. So, Rob, what we were talking about last time was... um, Kind of a second part about uh, West March's campaign, something that um, a couple people have talked about. It's this kind of very player-driven: who adventures, when, and where. I don't know if you've heard of the West March's approach to campaigning or not.
2: Uh, yeah, actually, uh, there's. I uh, saw somebody is doing a Numenera version. I think. Uh, Frank House. Yeah, Frank House.
1: Yep. So Sean wanted to do it, and he was kind of dragging his feet on it. So I kicked him in the ass last episode. It
0: felt pretty good. <laughs> that's that's the story I'm sticking to it. All right. Going back to episode eighty-four, Chris Johnson emails us going way back. While anxiously waiting for new episodes, I have been diligently listening to your older episodes. I just finished listening to episode eighty-three, no shows at RPG Cons, and it prompted a couple of albeit unrelated questions. First, Sean mentioned running a funnel, and I've heard you refer to funnels before, but I really have no idea what it is. At the risk of sounding like the complete noob that I am, would you please explain what this is? Brett, do you want to explain what the funnel is?
1: Sure. So what we have here, um, Chris, is a funnel is a term that the guys at uh, Goodman Games have coined are using pretty strong with Dungeon Crawl Classics. A funnel basically means everybody at the table has approximately four different zero-level player characters, They go through the first adventure. They get slaughtered uh, left, right, and center. And whoever is left at the end in your stack of characters is your character to go forward with the campaign with. That's the short version.
0: And I believe if you fast forward to the episode that we did with Jen Brinkman, we probably go into that a little bit more in detail, Chris. Uh, Second... As you were talking about running con games and having character sheets from players to choose from, I realized you'd be the perfect people to ask a question that I've been circling around for a while, and which your episode on pregens didn't answer for me. When it comes to creating characters for players to run, what are some things you specifically take into consideration? Do you pick PCs that will fit really well with the story, or do you just try to come up with the selection of popular classes to play? Rob?
2: How do you do it? So, well, it, uh, this is a, 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 an interesting uh, question because I've, I mean, I, I've had to run a lot of con games because uh, a lot of times that is how I get, uh, you know, free badges to go to conventions. Um, and for, for coming up with, with a con game, I'll, the, the first thing I default to is whatever the game it is that you're doing, what is the thing that you like about the game and then run a session about that. So if you think that this game has some really cool tactical combat, cool. You should, then that should feature in the game. If it has really cool car chase rules, cool. You should have, um, uh rules that, that focus on, you know, a sweet car chase. Like, like like think of those sort of set pieces or those mechanical elements that you really love, and that's what the the, 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 the thing should be about it. As for the, the characters, um, I think the that it, it kind of answers itself because then once you have, okay, this is going to feature a car chase, so we're probably going to need a driver, we're probably going to need a mechanic, we're probably going to need... Um, you know uh, somebody running shotgun uh, and then uh, you know the, the 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 story elements start to work themselves out once you have that that cool piece that's 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 in the middle there um, and even it, it especially works for games that kind of have uh, sort of a, a kitchen sink openness to them uh, that have like a lot of you know like like you know, if I want to do a Star Trek game, does that mean you know? Do we do we want to have a a ship to ship battle, or is it going to be an away team phaser thing, or or is it or, or is it not going to be any fighting at all, and just like a really tense diplomatic dinner where everybody's holding uh, Ron in the nail glasses? Like once you have that favorite thing of yours that you're interested in, and probably what drew drew you to run the game, then that should help you start to figure out what kind of characters you need.
1: Absolutely. Because if you've got characters that are sitting down for the Romulan ale swilling dinner and you have a couple of bruisers, some thugs, a rocket pilot, and, um, you know, that that type of person, you're like, wow, well, they have no social skills whatsoever. The fuck are they doing in my adventure for? Get them out of here. You know, you, you want to make sure that your characters that are there so that they can They can shine appropriately and have all the right skills to deal with the really kick-ass car chase, the tactical combat, the in-depth investigation into, you know, crazy-ass magic or whatever it is. So that's a very good point. I like that.
0: She continues, The main reason I ask is that I backed the Deadlands Anniversary Kickstarter a while back and am just about ready to jump in and try running it. I don't know how else I'll ever get to play it. I realize most of the people in the online gaming community, not to mention my local gaming group, won't have copies of the book to work with, so I'm anticipating that I'll need to create characters for the group to play, and I have no clue where to begin. Any advice you have on this topic is much appreciated. Thanks, guys, for all the great episodes. Hope your holidays are going well so far. Roll them in Washington. Chris Chrissy Johnson
2: writes. So specifically for Deadlands, I think that you, you could do something where, you, you I mean, in theory, because Deadlands is a perfect example of being one of those kitchen sink settings where, you know, okay, our group is made up of an undead gunslinger and a, a card-slinging wizard and a mad scientist dude with a helicopter backpack and then a, a quaint little school schoolmarm. Like, that. that's a typical Deadlands group. Um, and I, I think that it's very difficult to make boring characters in Deadlands. I mean, even, even characters that don't have any uh, fantastic, you know, bells and whistles on them, I think the game it does a really good job of still giving you meaty character bits with edges and hindrances um, to make a character interesting, even if they're, you know, just a guy with a gun or a girl with a gun. Um, so something like this, I think that's where you want to focus and think about, okay, what what type of character? what what characters drew me to deadlands and then what sort of situation would be the would, would bring those characters together like if i like hucksters okay then maybe we should do some kind of like you know like maverick style card play tournament and there are still plenty of opportunities for people to um uh to get involved with that that aren't necessarily card players because you've got, okay, probably need security. Maybe there's a guy there who is just a regular old car player and he wants to learn to be a huckster. You know, maybe there's somebody who's using mad science and has, like, some weird steampunk computational computotron thing. Like, um, uh, so when you – if you have those uh, – uh, it's, with a game like that, because that has such rich characters in it, you can even maybe work that a little backwards and go, OK, what kind of characters do I want uh, to to focus on and then fill them out from from the situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, what would be interesting in the situation? It'd be really kick ass to see what would happen if given this card tournament, these five people were involved. I would like. I would like to see what happens if that if that goes down. You're invested as a game master. You want to see what happens with these five player characters in the room. So right there, you want it to happen. That's part of it for me. Is don't make characters. Don't make PCs like. Well, I really gotta make sure I have one of these. I gotta have one of these. If you're not invested in the characters you're making for pregens, it's not going to go well. You know, make sure make sure you put put a little something into it. You know that that you want to see it, and that helps. Yeah.
2: Yeah, like and and con games especially, I mean, these are they're they're called demos because they're part of it is sales. You want to get people excited enough to come to your table and play this game and so you, the, the faster you get to the stuff that you're really excited about uh with this particular game, the better your game is going to be because you're going to draw more people who are um who also want to try out. Like e- even if you've never uh run Deadlands, you know, that's, those are, you're, you're going to want to draw people who've never played Deadlands and that way you're all going to kind of get to explore it all together. Exactly.
1: Sweet. What else we got next? Crim fan, huh? You want to do a crim fan? Yeah. Hey, it came back on episode one sixty seven where we talked about family and uh, I've done the prior campaign as backstory many times. It can really uh, help give a campaign depth. Of course, a campaign setting can die under its own weight and one needs to be wary of excluding new players that way. Still it's a good thing in general, at least for me, who tends to play with many of the same people over the long term. I think it's a good show topic though. Anyway, on the topic, uh the general principle, if you want it to matter, it's important it's important to be enough, but not too much, or too heavy-handed. Family can be cool, though it can be a huge source of, of a prior excuse me, though it can be a huge source of a prior show topic, emotional bleed. I've had this happen myself. The Demon players have had to watch out for things that <clears throat> that hit close to home. Just as you say at the end of the main topic, family is a high cliche risk. The DM constantly messing with my DNPC. You guys chew over this over is a classic. Another reason people do the whole quote unquote orphan thing is that's very good motivation for why characters willing to go be an adventurer. Being an adventurer tends to imply lack of connection to roots or at least a, a substantial stress to them, particularly uh, so given the nature of what most adventures do. I think one guy, uh, one point you guys implicitly made that was a, that some campaigns do a better job of supporting DnPCs than others. A city environment does a good job with that in a way that other campaigns do not. or At least a home base environment, the kind of adventure path, <clears throat> save the world level one to level twenty game that seems to get written. There's really no room for roots anyway. But in a more city environment, especially something that might feature an ensemble cast or a loopback lore generated by prior campaigns. It works nicely. I did retire a PC who decided to get out of adventuring life and get married. He come to a good end of a of a <clears throat> excuse me, come to the good end of a good arc after his closest friend of the adventuring group got killed and decided to cash it out before it happened to him. Everyone found that memorable. Um a later PC got introduced at the wedding. <laughs> Dragonlance, there are many fa- family romantic relationships throughout. Good Moon and Riverwind get married over the course of the st- story. There's the Tannis, Katara, Lorana, love triangle with Lorana's brother and her father floating around as well. Good stuff. Thank you, Crimfan. Always good to hear from you, man.
2: Uh, it, I'm actually just starting a fifth edition campaign that that kind of plays around with uh, those those connections. The uh, the characters from my fourth edition campaign have risen to the ranks of like being the gods and heroes in you know ages past. And then the fifth edition campaign is set in you know that world, hundreds of years in the future. Um, but but the players who were in both campaigns, I, I, I see what he's saying there. They, they they're a little more excited because they're like, oh my guy, he he grew up and he did some really cool stuff. And um and and I think that that has has added some value to Wrath than Event just being like, hey, it's tomb of annihilation, it's jungles and dinosaurs and stuff, yay.
0: <laughs> right. Let's get into the main topic, shall Let's we? Let's do it. All right. We don't have Rob on here for his good looks and charming. I don't know. Whatever. Well, we we could we could actually could. could. The
1: problem is we'd have to we'd have to have a video then because we're gonna if we're gonna showcase Rob's amazing sexiness and his awesomeness, we would have to have video. But we just don't do video, so we just gotta focus that's in like, on his brain, his big ass sexy brain. That's what we're going after.
0: That's right. It's all about the sexy brain.
2: I do have the perfect face for podcasting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, brother. All right, <laughs> so. <clears throat> There we go. There's the cough. Okay, so Rob, we're gonna we're gonna grill you a little bit because people are gonna want to know a couple of these things, and then we'll talk a little more in depth about design and writing and so forth. One of the things I thought was really interesting the more I've uh, spent time talking with you, even at this last Game Hulk Con, was just because you've worked on such a wide plethora of you know uh, licensed things, kind of. Um, things that you know, uh, different properties gone different places, and worked with lots of different companies and stuff. You I think your insights are, are pretty cool. So, let's um, let's get the first one out of the way. How the hell did you get involved in this, Rob? You just wake up one day, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna be a game writer. That's what I'm gonna do.
2: <laughs> Why didn't I decide for, to be something like an investment banker? No. Um, uh, I got into well, I got into game writing because I had spent years and years and years playing RPGs, and I saw that uh th- the this particular type of writing was uh a a gateway into like the uh, i i guess i started with the idea that I, that i would eventually branch out into other types of writing like i i i never wanted to be the type of creative who was like oh i'm only a novelist or i'm only a screenwriter or i'm only a, a game designer or, i'm only a a, a, a journalist like uh, I don't. I. I don't think creatives in this day and age can really do that. Um, like it. It. It seems more like you kind of shotgun out uh, at the start, and then whatever kind of takes is what you sort of become known for, which is weird because the the, the public perception I think is that like, oh, you only write or, or you only do one kind of thing. That's why actors get typecast. That's why like. You know, Stephen King only is 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 a horror writer, even though he's done a ton of other stuff. Um, so I started uh, getting serious by um, just keeping a, keeping an eye out for opportunities to write, and like whenever people would mention, like, "Oh, you we're looking for reviews," or "Oh, we're looking for uh, coverage," or or this that or the other thing uh, of actually sitting down and taking the opportunity to take advantage of them because a a lot of people, I think, get, get this idea of, Oh, I don't have the time to do it. Well, you have to make, you have to make the time to do it. And it's, it is absolutely not easy to do that. I do not, people who who don't uh, either have the ability to, or, or can't find that time. I understand why. I mean, uh, writing, being a professional writer, I always, I I, I liken to, uh, it's like going to the gym for your brain. Like there are some days when you you feel great uh, and you you hit the gym and you do everything and you walk out of there feeling like you are a superhero, and there are days you l- look at the clock and go, Ugh, "Do it." I don't. Well, maybe I can just do like legs today or something, and and. Or, or maybe I'll just eat half of that large pizza that I just ordered, okay <laughs> now I'm gonna eat the whole thing Ugh. Um, because th- that to me is where when people are like, Well, how do you know you're a writer? You're a writer when it stops being fun um, but that doesn't mean that's ah, sorry that <laughs> doesn't mean that it stops being rewarding, but it it's very much you you have to power through it. Uh, to get to kind of the end of it, where you're, where where like it's fun in the beginning and it's fun at the end. In the middle, that's when you kind of look at it and go, "Oh, what am I doing? Where where has where, where all this gone?" Um, my uh, specific start was, um, well, my specific start uh, as a pro game designer probably was um, uh, with the game Seventh Seek uh at the time i had done like a couple of, of articles for a few game magazines and, and like online publications uh but my first published work was uh with 7c uh when it uh was transitioning into the swashbuckling adventures version of it which is kind of the uh that was back during um the 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 d20 boom after third edition came out and there were a couple of there were several companies that were putting out game books that had their version of the stats in them, but they also had conversions for, uh, D20 if you wanted to use that. Um, and, uh, I had, I was a fan of the, uh, the 7C CCG at the time. Um, and I still like it. I wish somebody would bring it back. Uh, and they, um, uh, they were looking, it was, there was a big tournament at Gen Con, and there were, uh, fans who were doing fan fiction as story bounties like for for the older like the when Alderac was doing card games like uh, l5r and and 7c uh, they had these big tournaments that were uh, were storyline based which was something that drew me to them um, but well, but what also happened is people would try to influence the outcome of the tournament by um, writing stories or giving out prizes or things like that. You know, you know bribery, basically. Um, and hey, why not?
1: Why not, man? <laughs> right.
2: So, uh, there, there was a guy who was doing some of these fan stories, and I uh, um, had gotten friendly with him on the the sort of the sort mailing list, and I was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a writer guy. What if I do some of these? Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, and, uh, he was like, yeah, sure. No problem. So that, that's what I did. I wrote a couple of, of fan fiction stories for, for Seven C. And then when, um, when I got done with them, I was like, well, you know what? I should send these to the actual developer and see if I can get a job working on these books. I mean, I've already done this stuff, this element for free. This is essentially an audition. And, um, uh, so I sent them to to Rob Vox who was the developer at the time uh, and he liked them he put me he put me on one book and then he put me on two books and three books and and I, I that line I was very fortunate because I basically worked on almost every book in that chunk of 7c like I think there was only one book that I that I wasn't a part of um, but that really helped build uh, that that you know, that, that big piece of that resume that you were that you talked about at the, at the beginning of the show. Um, and that allowed, like, once you have that publication history behind you, it becomes a lot easier to, you know, email a, a line developer and be like, Hey, random person I've never met. Do you want to pay me to write? Um, and it, it, it just kind of kept on spiraling forward from there. Um, the, uh, I did, I, the the other line that I did a ton of work for was Shadowrun. Um, I did a lot of work in, in sort of the fourth edition period and a little spillover in the fifth. Um, and again, that was a matter of just sort of being in the right place at the right time. And, but, but also being able to take advantage of, of an opportunity that presented itself.
1: Well, it makes sense. I mean, you pay attention to what's out there. I mean, Ken and Robin have said this before, where, The Rob Whelan way to get to where you are is is closed. I've got to find my own way. Mm -hmm. But but the the general consensus is, you know, make time. If you really want to do this, you better fucking get serious. You need to make time, need to be willing to push through it. And uh, you need to find the opportunities and be well aware and cognizant of them as they're happening. You know, be that guy who's, you know, out there looking around and those men and women checking to see who needs what, what can be done. You know that's how you build the old resume. That makes sense. That's good stuff.: Truth be told,
2: a lot of my, a lot of the work that I've gotten has been because I've been somebody's second choice. like I, I, but because I was there and you know people knew about me and knew of my interest, they were like, okay, well, so and so, you know, they got sick or uh, for whatever reason, they can't do this project. Rob, are you available? Yes, of course I'm available. Let's do it. Okay. And then because you're there as the the, the backup choice, I think that helps push you to the front of the line the next time that that particular person is looking for, you know, a primary choice because they're like, oh, this person stepped up and and got everything done and in on time and didn't flip out and wasn't a a drama llama. So, okay, cool. Let's, Let's call them in first this time.
1: Makes sense. So are you doing? So are you, uh, full on freelancer? You not? Or are you working directly for any game company? Like, as you're drawing a paycheck from, you know, Wizards because you're on their payroll, or I'm picking Wizards out of my pocket, but or is it uh, strictly freelance for you?
2: Um, it, it, it's freelance. I'm a. Uh, I tell people I'm an author, game designer, and professional nerd. I I, I did have a day job uh, for many many years. Um, and then uh, I went freelance, and now I also stay uh, at home with my daughter, uh, so that lets me uh, that lets us save some money on, you know, daycare and, and uh, childcare, but I also freelance uh, in and around that sort of full-time gig.
1: Makes sense? Cool. All right. So we're going to get into the type of projects you're working on as we go through this. But um, one of the questions I've had, and I kind of hate you on this as we were roaming around the dealer hall. At uh, I want to kind of break it into designing versus writing, uh, if you don't mind. So we'll start on the designing side of the house. Sound good? Okay. Sean, and uh, don't be afraid to stomp on me here, brother, if you want to get a word in edgewise. Otherwise, I'm sure Rob and I will just talk ears off. Sounds good. All right. So when you're de- when you're looking to design, so you've been given a project, um, when you are designing game systems, mechanics, this type of stuff. Are you trying to start scratch yourself? Do you kind of clear your mind of everything and try to come up with the original idea, or is your go-to to uh, steal something from somebody else? <laughs>
2: um, I I believe the term is inspired by, not stealing. Oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry. Uh, that's, a, that's a fair cop. So... Um, I find that when when I get a project, I what I the first thing I usually do is I go out and see what is already in the market. Um, so okay, you want me to design a a space game, okay, what's out there? Traveler, Star Wars, Star Trek, da 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 da. Um, then uh, it, it it usually go it usually combines these two directions, but you tend to either, want to do variations on stuff that you know works, but you also um, look at things that didn't work and identify what didn't work about them and consider, you know, going the other way. So I I think you have to be aware of uh, what's going on in the design space because otherwise what happens, that's when you run into... um, the, the, the designers who come up to you who you go to talk to them at their show and they're like, okay you know they've got their they've got their booth and they're like all right check this I'm designing a role-playing game that doesn't have either levels or classes isn't that amazing and you're like yes, that is amazing but that's not necessarily something that's not not necessarily something that's novel or something that is uh, you know, like like mind. Yeah, the the,
1: the, the earth shattering thing you think you have, you don't have that. Right, that's right. Kind of like, it's like I'm. It's like
2: I'm writing a comic book, but the superhero doesn't wear a cape. Like, okay, that's that that's it's an interesting step, but you know, keep going. Let's see what else is in there that 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 um that goes on. And 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 I don't think I don't think anybody really designs from scratch. I think even if you're not directly looking at uh, a mechanical design um, or looking at, e- e- either looking at a, a successful mechanical design or a, a failed mechanical design, I think you still internalize a lot of game elements. Like the more games that you read, you're still going to internalize those pieces and and those are all techniques that you use once you sit down with that blank page and start designing. Like even if it's not a even even if people can't look at it and go, oh, that's this mechanic from this game, uh, those influences are still going to set you in uh, a direction uh, one way or the other. So I don't know if you know designing a mechanic out of whole cloth is necessarily a thing because <laughs> because it's always going to be.
1: No, that that totally makes sense. And the reason I asked is, believe it or not, um, ages back when Brett was younger and stupider, probably like last year, um, but I used to look at it and say, "Wow, these men and women who are designing these games. Oh, wow, this is really cool." And I did not read as many different games as I read now, or you know, this is ages back. You you read a I read a very specific set of games, if you know TSR made it or maybe Iron Crown made mm-hmm. it or whatever, and we didn't have the wonderful zeitgeist of the internet where everybody goes, "Oh, hey." I'm doing a thing, and someone goes, "Wow, that's just like Fate." Oh, cool! Fuck, I'll go read Fate. You know, we didn't necessarily have that. And my head used to say, yeah, a real game designer would design everything for him or herself completely, without having to borrow or steal or, you know, learn from others. They were, you know, these these brilliant people. And the more I've looked at, um, people who I admire who are doing really good work, I'm like, you know, what? oh wait, that's very similar to this. And then they will willingly say, "Oh yeah, I totally." took this inspiration or, or I hacked this off from this person. And boy, it was a really good idea. Why would I not use that? It, you know, Sandy Peterson made this really cool thing. I'd be stupid not to try mm. to copy that. Um, i sure I tweaked it a little bit, but I, but I did do this thing. So I wanted to, I wanted to ask that. Cause I believed, I believe what you said was the answer <laughs> in the end, but I wanted to hear you at least tell me out loud to my face. So thank
2: you. Sure. No, I, I, uh, it, it, I mean, even to the, even now I find myself, stumbling across gaming spaces that i don't know nothing about and i'm like whoa people really get into this stuff like um uh, a perfect example is uh there's a company called uh Pixelberry uh that does uh these choose your own adventure style games on uh like android and 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 ios and and they they're 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 they're, they're I mean, the choose your own game, so you, you know, oh, do you do this thing, do you do this thing, but they do them in a lot of genres that aren't well-represented, so like, you know, like romance, like one, like their big title is like, you play a young freshman at college and have to deal between this love triangle that you're dealing with and the choices that you make affect things, Um, and, and that's, and even that is interesting, but that's also feels like it's, it's borrowed from, sort of the telltale games of like your Batman's and your Walking Deads and 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 and, he, and those are borrowed from depending on who you ask uh, either the choose your own adventure books or uh, the like Bioware uh, games where you make choices and they affect them and 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 so it for me you you keep unwrap when, when, when you read other games you're more likely to realize that the sweater is unraveling and the yarn is is connected to another sweater which is connected to another sweater which is and and you don't even realize
1: it (laughs) fair enough so when you're going through this i think uh, so my lesson out of this is like obviously no shame right i mean it's a it's a really good idea you know rob rob did this in this game hey i want to try to copy this i want to try to utilize this in some way so, Rob, I, I find this really kick-ass thing you did, and I'm going to hack it up, turn it into my own, but I was influenced by you. Is there a protocol from like, – because I, I know you can't – apart from intellectual property like Mind Flayers, Beholders, and stuff, you really can't um, – Trademark, if you will, a game system, right? Anybody who's bought a variation of Monopoly, you know, obviously you can't. The mechanics are the mechanics. You can essentially make all different kinds of ofopoly you want. Wisconsinopoly, Madisonopoly, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's a protocol when you're doing this? If you find a really cool thing or I find some cool, fuck, that, that, that Rob, that guy, he totally had it nailed here. I'm going to use that. Am I supposed to? Is it considered a professional full paw? Not to say. And Rob Wheeland gave me this incredibly good idea in this game. Or what do you Um, how do you? How do you give credit where credit is due?
2: Um, I think I think most designers, if you say, oh, did you get this thing from this other thing? They will be excited that you saw the other thing and they'll be like, yes, yes, I did get it from that other thing. That other thing is amazing. You should go out and buy that other thing because that is where I got my idea for my thing. Um, and because of that, I think uh, if you're open with your sources like that, I um, I think enthusiasm trumps any sort of, like, weird legal, like, protocols or, 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 or issues. I think most designers, most designers love talking about game design, and if you are able to recognize a, a, a piece of game design that that they have uh, taken, either as a straight-up borrow or as a, well, this, is, this inspired me to do this other thing... Um, I, I, most designers are just excited to know that somebody else you know saw that movie or or you know or 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 or, or has had that experience.
1: yeah you get that new job or you're sitting at the convention and you mention this really you know kind of a one-of-a-kind niche thing and someone goes oh my god i have that same arduin grimoire are you I'm like what you know arduin Grimoire? yeah i totally know what those are oh my god i thought it was the only guy you know it's like Like that time you found somebody who could quote Monty Python with you for the first time. Like, oh my god, I have found the kindred. So,
2: and 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 I and I think most designers are pretty open uh, about their influences within, either broadly or even within specific instances. Like uh, an example I will give uh, is um, the uh, for Chill Third Edition. um, We came up with this idea of having tokens that reflect. Uh, sort of the tension at the table, and the tokens are double-sided. Uh, one side is dark, one side is light, and the 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 game master flips the tokens from, or rather, the the game master flips the tokens from dark to light uh, when they want to do creepy stuff. That like, uh, you know, like oh, the the monster's using their powers, so you turn the you flip the tokens, and then the hunters flip the tokens from light to dark to do things like modify dice rolls and, uh, oh, I missed that roll by two points. Well, I'm going to flip a token so that I I actually hit it. And um, that mechanic is something that I I first saw used in the uh, Star Wars Fantasy Flight uh, system uh, from uh, Jay Little, which I thought was a, a great way of doing that sort of, you know, luck point kind of bump the, the, you know, bump the table to make sure that the pinball goes in the right slot kind of, uh, kind of mechanic. And, it, and, but, but we took it in chill to, and, and focused it, you know, like to model, whereas they wanted to model that sort of influence of the light side and the dark side. We uh, took it and shaped it more so that, to uh um, for, to get that feeling of, oh no, something bad is going to happen in the horror movie versus okay, no, we're we're still in the light, everything's cool because at, at the table the way that it plays when you have a uh uh all of the dark side uh to- or the the dark tokens face up, you the, the 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 hunters are tense because they see how many resources you have and are like. What's gonna happen? when is the bus gonna hit me what you know when is the monster gonna jump out and stab me and 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 it's it's such a great way to drive the tension of a horror game even though it was inspired by a mechanic for a game that's very heroic and very uh, you know uh, player driven um, which is funny when when people uh, often criticize narrative games they're like well you can't do horror with 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 fate or you can't do do it with these games where you have a bunch of player agency. Yeah, you can. You just have to figure out the right mechanics to to draw that emotion out of
1: people. Totally makes sense. I like that. So one of the things you mentioned, which leads directly to my next question, thank you so much, Rob, is the um, when you're designing and you're working like this, um, my assumption is there's obviously lots of different sizes of projects. You've got, like, Chill 3rd Edition versus, hey, write me a supplement. Um, in most cases, it, it feels like... Um, When you work on a larger property, um, Chill or uh, Firefly stuff or Shadow on there, I'm assuming you've got a host or at least one other man or woman that you can bounce stuff off of. So you kind of have a bit of a team. Um, Do you prefer working in in the team type environment or kind of go off on your own, develop a thing and then have somebody take a look at it? I mean, because I look at some of the indie publishers or however they're people like to to look at themselves like that and a lot of times it's kind of a one person show where hey I've got this really cool idea I did it i i I am the the basically the sole you know designer type of thing kind of come up with stuff beat the hell out of it and come back um, is working with a team better in your experience you know making sure you pull people into the fold to get the ideas and so on or how do you how do you like to work like that
2: well I think that, ultimately, uh, every project is collaborative in some sense, and you're really just kind of adjusting the volume on it, whether it's very collaborative or whether it's you and, like, a couple people. Because in addition to other writers, you're talking about editors, you're talking about developers, you're talking about um, uh, your play testers, um, and all of these people you know, are, are offering feedback on, on your process. Like, like even something where, where I have been the sole author is still something that has probably passed through, I want to say three to four hands because you're, you've got the, um, the developer, you've probably got an editor. Um, and you might even have an artist who, you know, like, um, uh, like there, there have been a couple of instances uh, when I've worked with um, uh, Brian Patterson. Uh, we did uh, two fake games together. We did save game. We did Kaiju Incorporated. And there have been a couple of times where he has sent in a piece of art, and I was blown away by it. And I was like, "Okay, hold on a second. I got to write something that matches that art because that is fucking awesome." <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so I think ultimately it 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 is all uh, collaborative in in some in some sense because even if you're even if you don't have somebody that's getting paid to work on a thing with you you should be play testing whatever you're doing and you should be if you're going to play test it you should also then listen to those play testers when they give you feedback like there 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 is definitely you don't necessarily have to do everything but you should still think about okay if if you're getting the same piece of feedback from uh, you know separate players or separate play groups that's something that you should consider more than one person who is like oh, i didn't like this thing this thing i would do this thing, this thing this thing like if it's one person like once you can you can write off as uh you know personal taste uh differ- different personal taste twice even you might be able to go okay maybe they just didn't get it maybe i need to be a little clearer about this particular thing um and like once you get past three or four times that's when you should really go yeah yeah, that that's something I should change, and and that's a um, an element that I tend to be very like. If an editor tells me to change something, ninety nine percent of the time, I'm probably going to change it because my I feel that my job as a designer, as a writer, is is to have ideas, and if people don't like those ideas, cool, throw them out, get new ones in, and if, and you should be able to churn into an idea that both you and whoever you're uh, working with as a developer or an editor uh, is somebody... Like, if you're both excited about it, that's better than one of you being excited about it.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, if you... No, I totally dig that, and that makes that makes absolute sense, right? Because if you try to do it in a vacuum, right? Hey, I built this game; it has no levels and no uh, capes and wizards with no pointy hats. You're like, yeah, but whatever other people Wait, have done wizards it.
2: Wizards with no pointy hats—that's amazing. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and then you and then you try to and then you try to do too much on your own, or you take too much on yourself. Like you, you're the only person who can build, design, and work through this stuff. I guess so. I asked, um, obviously, kind of leading questions, Rob. I figured what the answer would be. But what's interesting to me is the number of people I've bumped into over the years that I've, that I've talked to. Like, wow, I really wish I knew how this person came up with all this stuff. And my answer is, well, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, Robin or, you know, uh, John Wick or whomever didn't do it in a vacuum. I'm pretty sure that Ed Greenwood worked with somebody no, no, I'm pretty sure he did all by himself. I'm like, I don't think that's fucking possible because you might hit gold once in a while or strike oil periodically, but at a certain point you need those groups, that team of some, at least of you and your editor at the very least to be able to bang stuff back and forth. So I think it's just to be successful in that design space, you absolutely have to have um, be able to have your ego poked and slammed around periodically because, hey, I got a really good idea. And Rob looks at Brett and says, no, dude, that's a shitty idea. Oh, crap. Okay, let's have a better idea. Yeah, you got to be able to tolerate that,
2: right? There are two things. Well, there there are, are two things that running uh, RPGs uh, have taught me about being a professional writer, um, and one of them is you do not, you should not be the type of of writer or the type of dungeon master that has five spiral bound notebooks that uh you know explain their explains their world in depth because almost none of that is going to ever really hit the table like like you you may be you may be interested in thinking of the you know oh what are the socioeconomic uh ramifications of the dwarf gold gilder versus the elven silver piece like cool that that's that's an interesting question for you. Unless you can make that into something gameable and turn that into an, an adventure to present to your players, it doesn't matter. You can you should devote your time to stuff that is going to be out there and in front of people. And the other thing, the the second th- uh, part of that is sometimes your players will have better ideas than you, and it is okay to quietly like. If you're running a a murder mystery and uh, one of the player and you you think the you were like the Baron did it and then one of the players in front of you says no 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 guys I think it was uh, the Countess and lays out a much better timetable and uh, thing that uh, makes perfect sense. It is okay for you to quietly cross off the Baron and write the uh, Countess as the the main suspect. Um, because their idea was better. It is okay to to, 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 to let go and let a, a better idea take its place because ultimately that player is then going to turn around and be like, yeah, I thought it was really cool that, that the Countess was the, the, the killer because uh, it made more perfect sense and you just sort of quietly nod and go, yes, of course, that was my plan all along. <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs>
1: Then you, t- you take that lesson and you, tra- and you translate it directly into what you're designing or developing. Right. And that lesson just holds true on the other side of it. Well,
2: and, and the, 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 the third lesson is something that, that uh, I picked up from Greg Stolze uh, when he, his, he was talking about um, – uh, he, he studies uh, martial arts classes. And he said something to the effect of um, you are going to end up on the floor of the dojo a lot before you uh, can – be a good uh before you you can you can get good at this and that is something that is absolutely true in writing that's why you know when people when uh writers talk about rejections you know how many times for for all the stuff that i've done i've been rejected 10 times as much and that's again on the floor getting having just gotten the wind knocked out of you and you have to get back up and, and 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 do it again and sometimes that happens if there's an i, you know, if there is an idea that comes at you that is better than the one that you have, if it takes you down, as long as you learn from that idea and incorporate it into design, it's going to make it, it a stronger piece, uh, no matter where it comes from. Like I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten plenty of great inspirational ideas from like my mom or like other people that aren't like connected to writing at all and any in, in or, or or game development, just because. I was working on a thing. They mentioned something, and I go, oh, no, you're right. I've got to go type something and delete a bunch of shit. I'll be back.
1: Awesome. All right. I'm going to jump to a writing component here now. So we talked about mechanics, and this the, the one question I wanted to talk about a little bit was like the license property stuff because I know you've done space in there. But let's first uh, look at – so. One of the things that I found a number of times is you'll talk to somebody and they'll explain their mechanic to you. And you're like, wow, that sounds really fucking amazing. That's how you do a car chase. By God, that's exactly it. Great, man. I can't wait for that to come out. And um, you, you, you're you in the play test. You see it. You run it. You're like, wow, goddamn, that was fun. And then you read the final thing. And um, there's um, there's novel writing. There's poetry. There's all sorts of stuff. Then there's this technical writing component that, game, that gaming has where we have to take this kick-ass mechanic about car chases and then write it in such a way that it is entertaining for the for the gamer to read, the GM, the player, whomever, and then that they can actually understand just what the fuck it is you're actually trying to do. Is that my head? Rob says that's incredibly challenging. Is that do you find it not challenging, or um, am no. I just off the off the base there? Because it feels like it's a different style.
2: It, it is. It, uh, it it is absolutely challenging because it is technical writing, and uh, but it is like technical writing in like a weird. Game candy coding that people don't really recognize, and uh, it, it's it's very challenging because um, what works for one audience doesn't always work for the for another audience, and so so not only is it a hard skill to begin with, it's a hard skill that you have to adapt for um, uh, for a particular audience. Uh, like for example. Um, When we did, uh, when working on the Firefly RPG, one of the things that I am, that I was really excited about uh, was the fact that um, in explaining the mechanics of the game, uh, we used examples from the show to do it. Uh, So like, instead of a hypothetical, Wash has to land the ship kind of stuff, it was, okay, in this scene... Uh, in the scene from from Shindig, where Mal gets into the sword fight with Atherton Wing, we break it out and explain with like fake dice rolls and everything how he wins the day using the mechanics of, of the episode. And I I thought that that stuff was very illuminating. Um, and for a lot of the people who who read the book, it was. But I also see a lot of people who go, "Oh man, that episode guide stuff was." Was wasted space, and I don't. And I have such a hard time finding specific rules, and I don't get it. And I, and when I see that, it my my first reaction, even though it should, my first reaction should be, oh well, um, clearly we we made some sort of you know we there was a failure in communication here. We didn't do a good job. My first reaction is a, a visceral like, did you actually read the thing, or did you kind of flip through it and you know, go? Uh, oh, it's an episode guide. It's boring. Blah 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 blah, and um, and, 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 and that's hard for me to, to kind of like put that away and not just be like, "What are you blind?" You know. Um, <laughs> do you have? So,
1: time, well, go oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: It like at the same time, I run into the same I run into that same issue too, where people will tell me, "Oh, this game is really really yeah, really well written." And organized very well, and I'll pick it up and I'll read it, and I'll be like, I can't find a goddamn thing in this book. What What are you talking about? So it's it's technical. This for of technical writing is it's science, but there is definitely an element of art to it, where just you know, some people want it in a very specific way versus uh, necessarily the way that you would be able to best grasp and and. Uh, and internalize it.
1: And you've got a limited amount of space, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if we had our drillers, Rob and I could come up with this really cool thing and say, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this episode of uh, <clears throat> firefly. We're going to break it down and here's how it goes. This is how the laser works. And this is how this works. And Hey, when Mal does the snapshot, this is how this functions. And here's five different variations of how to explain this thing. Last I checked, y'all don't have that kind of luxury. Cause you've got word count, page count. We got shit we got to mm-hmm. worry about. So we've got to make a decision how it's going to be presented when um when you're reading it i guess is there hmm, it's uh da, 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 da. is is have you found one way to be better than others or is it really dependent on the project like you said firefly being kind of licensed property you can tag into the show notes component and try to use that have you found one method for this technical aspect of the writing that seems to work better you get better mileage out of than another or are you still struggling with that yourself
2: for me i find that I know that, that as a player, I am much better at learning from either watching or playing rather than reading a text, and I think that a lot of people are, are like that. I think that's one of the reasons why um, there has been this sort of explosion of actual play programs, whether podcast or video cast or whatever, of people watching people play D&D, um, because that is the easiest way to kind of explain all of... The, all of the weird-ass concepts that are part of a, of a, of a role-playing game. Um, so the best way that I can replicate that in a book is through examples. Like I think that examples are very key to teaching people how to use mechanics. Whether or not they are necessarily examples from a, a licensed media property or just something that is very clearly written and cleanly written to show, okay, this is how many dice you roll, this is what happens after you roll them, this is how it interacts with the mechanics. Like like I I, 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 I try to make space for mechanics, especially stuff that deviates from what you might consider typical. Um or stuff yeah, that it, Yeah, so if you,
1: if your core might me- yeah, if your core mechanic is a d20 versus a difficulty class, your DC is 15, pick a DC and go. No, actually this car chase uses the 3d20s uh, and this is why or this is how. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, you're 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 mucking with it. So people really got to pay attention.
2: Um so so the example I think is is something that that works all but and um I, I Really, I think that's that's the main piece that 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 I think works outside of particular stylistic approaches. Because like sometimes it's the oh you want the you want the world stuff first and then you want the the rule stuff or do you want the rule stuff first and then the world stuff? Cause, and, and it's it's tricky because either one of those sort of main chunks of the book is something that could potentially turn off a a, a potential. Uh, reader, because, you know, you might read the book and go, oh, well, you know, this is an interesting system, but I don't want another, you know, token-esque fantasy world and vice versa where, oh, wow, that's a really great setting, but, man, those mechanics, I I would never be able to run those that way. I'll probably just port this to a system that I'm more comfortable with. Um, so it really is kind of a, uh, kind of a crapshoot as far as whether or not, you sort of put one of those pieces first versus one of those pieces second. Because you, you you tend to do that because I, I find that books that sort of lace things in, um, that makes it challenging because in addition, uh, again, an, another piece of this sort of candy coated technical writing is that you want. That book to be a handy reference guide, so it, when you're at the table and everybody is sitting there, you can go, "Oh, I know the rules for combat are here. Give me a second, guys. Let me look this thing up." Um, and if you interlace uh, setting stuff with mechanical stuff, that gets that can be challenging sometimes because you're like, "Wait, was it was it before the story about the prince, or was it after the the vampire?" Oh man, I don't remember. Hold on, sorry, guys. And that and that can really lower the um the pace of the game
1: all right so i don't want to this is interesting to me rob probably somebody out there's going jesus Brett. wrap it up i I could do this all night so i want to kind of move here a little bit but one of the questions i have for you is you've worked with licensed properties when and when by license, i mean like firefly Mm -hmm. um versus uh fate games or something that's kind of more not not licensed right you don't have to go to um uh, Sony or Disney or somebody get the, you can get the rights to it. Do you have a preference? Do you like to work on one versus the other? Do you find one is more challenging or, or fun for you that you that you really like it? Um, I like
2: both because I like more work. Um, <laughs> but specifically, like licenses for me, I like I like those because they're, they're 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 they tend to be fun because you're oh I am influencing a thing that. You know, I enjoy as a fan. Like I like, I don't do license work for things that I don't uh, like. I'm not a fan of because I don't. That's I, I, there's somebody else who has a better grasp of the material that should be taking my place in that case.
1: Um, well, in that way, in that way lies madness. I mean, oh wow, I'm working on Star Trek. I could give a shit about Star Trek. Oh my God, this project never ends, right? I mean, why why do that? To well, itself? it's
2: interesting because I. I have been on projects where people have kind of had that attitude and I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, if you don't, if you don't inherently enjoy this thing, why are you trying to, what, what can you bring to the table if you're not expressing a joy of this particular thing? Um, So, so I do, I I like having those moments and, and there is kind of a, a, a a feather in the cap kind of feeling of, um, okay, We've, uh, you know, I got I got to work on Star Wars. I got to work on Firefly. That the, that's cool. But ultimately, the stuff that is uh, my own is more satisfying because all of it is me. And uh, when people tell you, "Oh, I really love Camelot Trigger," or, 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 or Hey, let me share this page of um, Save Game characters that that I made." that super that is such a great feeling because of the fact that it um uh it it's it, it it's all it's all my stuff and not necessarily oh you worked on uh star wars i read that book that was cool like um but you know like i'm never going to see a action figure of one of the things that i did or even if i and even if i did i'm not gonna see any money for it and it's just gonna and, and i'm gonna have to go out and buy my own copy of it and and you know it's it, it it's good because uh license like for me working on licensed properties is an excellent example of sort of story prompting of like rather than staring at that blank page and going what am i gonna write about it's okay you're gonna write a Star Wars story. What does that mean to you? What elements? Is, uh, and and it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about uh, before about the demo games. Of okay, what parts of uh, you know Star Wars interest you? Like that. The, that should be what you do. The the pieces that you you, you work on. Um, and as far as working with licensees, I think that um, it it is. It's interesting to see. The process uh, from various angles, a lot of times um, the process that I, that I've had has basically been, I write my thing, I give it to the editor, the editor sends the developer, the developer sends it to the company, I don't see it again until the book comes out, and then I open it up and go, oh, they changed that, they changed that, they changed that, they changed that. All um, Alternately, when I've worked on uh, licenses at, at, a, at a higher level, then you get to see some of the the, the more uh, the um, more intricate things like license rights, and uh, you know, like oh, or oh, we don't we we don't want to mention this because it's no longer part of our portfolio, or you know, pieces like that 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 get a little more into sort of the ticky tacky IP stuff, but. Is interesting to me as a, a fan of the property, much like you know, oh, do you, like like any sort of trivia or gossip about a thing that you like. I mean, you know, I mean, ask a Harry Potter fan about uh, the uh, the details of how J.K. Rowling wrote the book, and they'll have a ton of stories for you. So, so seeing it, seeing how licenses interact with this these products that support them, um, has been interesting. Interesting to me for for. Decades. I mean, even as a as a, uh, a teenager and a, a person in their twenties, like I, I I really thought it was fascinating watching how the old West End game Star Wars RPG, influenced the expanded universe, which then influenced uh, future games, which then influenced the sort of Disney era, and how all of that stuff is connected. And uh, even if like it, it, it even if I am not necessarily going to be you know being able to buy, I'm not gonna buy like my my uh, Firefly house with, 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 with whatever I've done because usually that stuff is is work for hire and you get paid and you' you're out. Um, but it's, it still might be cool ten years, 20 years down the line of okay, let's say they do Firefly the Next Generation. Oh hey, that's a, that's a story element that I think I introduced. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, okay. And, I mean, you get the license pieces, you get the influence the thing potentially, and then when you do your own, you get your own little taste of fandom when Brett comes up and says, oh, my God, you wrote this thing? You did this thing in Fate? Oh, I love that. So, you know, and speaking of Fate, man, one of the things that I want to bring you back for, I think, is uh, I started playing Fate Accelerated Dresden Files, and uh, Sean and I have uh, di- dished around with we need to have a Fate episode, but neither he nor I know shit about Fate. And I know Rob, you seem to know a little bit about fate, so I think we're going to have to have you back right. in a future episode here to, to to go through fate if you're willing.
2: I would I would love to. I, I I really enjoy fate on several levels. I think it's a it's a it's a very solid system. I think it's a great system. Uh, if there is a licensed property that uh, does not have an RPG that you want to still play, like you know, say a certain. Uh, Uh, boy wizard series or a certain uh, large space opera where your choices have massive effects on the storyline. Like I, I think it's a great choice for, for uh, things like that. Um, And I also think that the, the, the company uh, evil hat productions, I think they're probably one, they, they're probably one of the best RPG companies out there um, because they're very transparent. They, 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 they do a lot with their fans and they also treat their uh their freelancers and their their personnel very very fairly and so I, I anything I can do to uh, to spread that particular word I'm more than happy to do so.
1: It's kind of funny to me because you I've talked to different writers and designers at conventions and stuff and and listening to you say very similar things to what they have said it just it, part of it for me is that it helps to cement the fact that, yes, if you're going to do this, you know, you, you need to be open. You need to be able to collaborate with people. Um, yes, technical writing is an aspect of game writing. You can design the best, most kick-ass thing ever, but if you can't get the point across, um, you know, it's almost useless. And um, this this was really cool. Very, very insightful. Thank you very much, sir. Hmm. I'm glad I helped. I think you did. Or if nothing else, you helped me. I don't care about Sean. I'm just glad I'm happy. <laughs> So shall we go into die roll, Sean? Shall we move it?
0: We should. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery inspiration we want to bring to you. I've got a couple this week. Uh, I got a couple from listeners. Rob, I don't know if you have any. We can you know, sometimes we have guests that want to chime in and sometimes they have something, sometimes they don't, and that's okay. Oh yeah, sure. I would love to. All right, so first one for me, a list of totally unnecessary yet totally awesome D&D accessories to add spice to your game by Clave Jones on Nerds on Earth. So if you want to spice up your D&D accessories, check that out, link in the show notes. Uh, And then my second one. The review of the Genesis RPG system by Fantasy Flight Games. The review is done by Cannibal Halfling Gaming. Uh, Did a two-parter. We'll have links to both parts of that review. I know that's going to be coming out and dropping in people's hands relatively soon. So if you want to know more about the Genesis system that's derived from the Star Wars line of products that they have, um, certainly something to be interested in.
1: Uh, Brett, you want to do the listeners? Sure, we had Peter Skane, uh, Skanes gave us a uh, Merrill collection of science fiction speculation and fantasy. Link in the show notes there. Um, this is the type of thing that when I I suck at sci fi, when I'm going to run it, so um, coasting through sites like this really helps me just kind of get my brain wrapped around the whole sci fi um, bits and pieces for inspiration and so on. So thank you, Peter. And Sky Slayton uh, takes a stroll in a cemetery in Atlanta, and I posted up said, you know what? These cemeteries man it's a good place to get some NPC names so if you wanna if you want to actually uh, wander through a cemetery and act like you're doing <laughs> research just write down every name you come across because hey that's uh that's a good way to get that handy list of NPC names going so thank you Sky I've been through a number of cemeteries and never thought of that and uh that's a damn good <laughs> idea
0: Rob what, what do you got for us Rob
2: um well uh let's I have let's do two um one thing that uh, uh that that I found to be an interesting thing to play with is uh, there are some companies that are doing uh, sound mixes for for D&D. Like, you can buy, like, background samples and things like that. Um, Like, Plate Mail Games is one of them. Uh, And, like, Sirenscape, I know, is another one. uh, We're basically... Uh, you know, you have your laptop at the, the table and it, it's playing the, you know, the, the, the ambient murmur of the, the the tavern or, like, the, the weird, uh, um, creepy, you know, like, dripping water in the temple or things like that. Um, but there's one that you can actually go to online that's called um, uh, Ambient-Mixer um, that is free and you can fiddle around with your own... Uh, soundscapes, and there, are, and they even there are even already people who have uploaded their the stuff that they've done for their D anD D groups or their uh, you know Star Trek groups, and uh, and uh, th- those sound elements really do have a, a, a neat impact on uh, on the game. Like when I've been running, I've been running a, a Star Trek Adventures game, um, and it's it, it really enhances the effect when a player you know says all right uh uh, hailing frequencies open and then you push the button and you hear the sound from hailing frequencies open play it like it, it, it it adds just a nice little goose of effect and that sound of the engines thrumming as you're on the the uh on the ship versus if you're on the planet and you hear like a jungle sound like that really enhances the effect um i think even more so than if you're uh if you're like playing like you know soundtrack music or things like that so ambient mixer is a great place to kind of fiddle with that because you can you can also create your own um and it's fairly easy to use um so i've been uh I, i've been uh, eagerly uh whipping up uh sort of jungle sound effects for my tomb of annihilation game that's starting to to kind of push that forward and in, in you know uh for that little added like players really enjoy cheap theatrics and, and uh, that's a a great way to to bring that to the table. Um, The other, the other piece that, that um, uh, I would like to point out is this neat game called, uh, it's called uh, Expedition the Card Game. Um, I get a lot of people who ask me like, okay, Rob, I want to introduce my person to RPGs. How do I do that without necessarily? Cause I think there's a the sort of unspoken idea that when you're signing up for d and D game, you're signing up for like a three year epic campaign, and that's never that's not always the case. Um, so the thing about Expedition, the card game, is that it is actually an app based game. You run it off of your phone, um, and it uh, uh, you you buy the base set of cards that have like your characters and like their abilities and things like that. And it still has the 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 bones of a d and d game of like oh you want to do a thing roll a d20 add a thing to it okay, you succeed you fail oh you're in a fight with a monster now now we're we're, we're doing the fight stuff except the app runs a ton of that to the point where um you can uh, you can either run through one of the the stories that are on the app and they have official ones <clears throat> there are also um. Uh, like uh, fan created ones that are uploaded to the app, uh, or you can even set it in a mode where the story is all you, and then when a you know combat occurs or whatever, you're like, okay, give me two seconds, let me load up the monsters uh, in the fight, and then okay, now we're gonna now we're gonna run the combat. So uh, it, I, it, it's a it, it's a fantastic resource for it, showing people the, the 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 core experience of gaming, and then you know. Hopefully, being like, okay, did you enjoy this? Or would you want to play an actual DD game where you actually go into like character creation and all that stuff? Um, so, I, I think it's an excellent gateway for folks who are looking to get into the hobby, and because that's something that is evergreen. Like, no matter wh- when I talk to people, people are always like, "Well, I heard about is this a good thing to bring people into this game?" And I think it's a it's a it's a great way to do it. I think, and you can get it on Amazon for. I want to say like 40 bucks. So it's also not that expensive. Very cool. Very, Very
0: nice. Thanks, Rob. Sweet. All right, Rob. There We come to the end of the show, and when we have a guest on the show, we put them through a, a quick lightning round of questions that we call skill check. All right. Are you ready to play skill check, Rob? Yes, sir. All right. Here we go.
2: GM or player, Rob? Oh, GM. I'm I, I get really antsy as a player. All right. GM it is.
0: Screen or no screen?
2: Uh, no screen. Though I No screen he says. I, you, well, I usually run with my laptop, so I feel like that kind of acts as a screen, but I also tend to do my die rolls out in the open. Um, and I really only use the screen if it had like I'm more the kind of a guy to have like the screen uh, as like a thing on the side that I open to consult rules as opposed to a piece on the table that's like you can't look at my my genius notes. I'm sorry.
0: All right, modules or original content?
2: Both. I know it's a cop out answer, but I think that um, I think that modules are great in the opening of a campaign but once you have a feel for what's going on original content becomes easier because you're you're playing off of of stuff that happened in the um the campaign so it's, it's easier to write adventures of oh this is this is what happened because this other thing happened but i also think really well-written modules are pieces that even if you don't like the module you can cut out elements of it to use in your uh your original content so I think I guess I'm ultimately gonna go with modules. Alright. Because I, I feel like that's you, you you use it more than you think you do.
0: Balanced encounter or screw balance?
2: <laughs> uh I'm gonna go with screw balance. I think that a that boy I feel well like when people talk to me about well I ran this combat in a white room it it's like who does that? what that you would never are going to have a fight in a white room that is completely balanced because part of the fun of RPGs is that you do, you're you're not limited to oh I have to hit X or I have to hit, hit square like you, you there are contextual elements that players can throw at you that you can throw back at them that you know uh, go in places that you had never conceived so the idea that you have to have a like a, elaborate that you have to have a a, a balanced thing. I think that it's great to have, but I feel like sometimes there's a lot of, of energy sort of wasted in getting like balance like perfectly right. Like it, it, I would much rather have an interesting encounter that isn't balanced but is memorable than one that is perfectly balanced but is oh we're having a warehouse fight. Like okay great. <laughs>
0: All right, Rob. Favorite RPG? Oh, oh,
2: oh, why, why? Why do you do this to me? Um,
1: hmm. You're on a desert island. You've got one RPG with you. What are you going to play?
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to be my first love. It's got to be Shadowrun.
1: Oh, there we go. Oh,
2: Which edition, which edition Rob? I will. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's probably going to be Shadowrun with the the Fate hack that I wrote for it because as much as I love sh- the setting of Shadowrun and I want and I and I, I, I have all the books and I, I I've internalized it since I was like what twelve years old and years old. The system has always been a challenge for me because I, I, I for a variety of reasons. It, 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 um, so I, I love the setting of Shadowrun, but I would want it. I would want to use it with a system that highlights the setting rather than getting into the nitty gritty of like, okay, uh, you have ballistic, uh, armor versus impact armor. And this is the, uh, this is the staging code of your weapon. And, and I, like, I can't do that stuff anymore. So I would probably run it using something like fate or something, uh, else that, that focused more on the, the backstory and narrative elements rather than the, 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 the ticky tacky, uh, stuff, which, which is sad, because I still enjoy that stuff, but I don't want to do the math for it anymore. I'm too old for that yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, last one, Rob. RPG you're playing in the next week or month.
2: Um, Well, I've got two that are going on. Well, alright, I've got three that are going on. I'm finishing up that Star Trek game. Uh, I'm starting a Tomb of Annihilation game, and uh, we're also starting a uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep uh, game with uh, a group that's never played Call of Cthulhu before. So I think that'll be a lot of fun um, because they're going to get to, they're getting thrown in the medium to deep end of it. Uh, and I think that the, that it'll be a lot of fun for them to to discover the the mythos uh, in the game and out of the game rather than just, oh, we're playing Cthulhu. Yeah, I know all sorts of stuff about Nyarlathotep.
1: No, Masculine Ronalf Tip is fun. That's a hell of a good adventure. That'll be a lot of fun. It,
2: it it's it like I think it I think that's probably my favorite published adventure. I think it it does a great job of balancing sort of sandbox elements, but also having a coherent storyline that players can grab onto. Like I've I've run it I I ran I, it I, I ran it once. Um uh I've run it a couple times, and one of them was actually one of my very rare TPKs. Uh, but it still holds a great place in my heart. Sweet.
0: Well, congratulations, Rob. You made it through a skill check. Woo! Uh, thank you. Thank you from Brett and I, both of us, for, for coming on the show and offering some insightful, insightful insight. Why, that seems redundant. Some insight into the gaming industry. Certainly appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for ha- having me, guys. Uh, I know that we talked a couple times at uh, a at Game Hope and I'm I'm very happy uh, to come on and and uh, like these the sort of experiences are always fun because it, it, it can get it can get lonely and dark when it's just the internet, but when you're actually talking with people who are very passionate about uh, a topic, it's it's a lot more it 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 it, it makes everything feel more. Substantial. So, so thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome.
0: So, if somebody were to try to find you, Rob, on the awesome interwebs, where can they find you?
2: Well, uh, I am an author, game designer, and professional nerd. Um, you can find my co- uh, my writing on Geek and Sundry. Um, I do a regular column for their uh, Shield of Tomorrow show that talks a lot about Star Trek stuff. I also do uh, a lot of work for their uh, starter kit show. Um, I've done a lot of, hey, d- new d d player, here are uh, the spells that you should pick, or, you know, kind of articles like that in addition to a variety of other you know pieces of uh, things like that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Robo Wieland, RoboWieland, R-O-B-O-W-I-E-L-A-N-D um, and I'll probably be uh, complaining about some sort of political thing or probably complaining about people who are posting uh, spoilers for uh, Star Wars. Um, and uh, I've also got a couple of um, local businesses uh, here in Milwaukee for the the folks that uh, get reached uh, down here. Uh, I uh, run Quiz Cube Trivia, um, which is a sort of nerdy branded uh, par- uh, bar trivia. Um, and uh, we do a lot of uh, like, you know, like we did We've done uh, some Harry Potter nights. We've done some Star Wars nights. We're going to be doing some Bob's Burgers nights. You know, basically focusing on things that that pub trivia, but it's not like sports or like uh, um, or uh, other you know the the, the typical pub trivia type stuff. Um, And I also uh, am uh, just uh, starting out uh, a system called Dungeon Master on Demand. Um, because I have such a, uh, wide variety of systems that I've written, um, I am offering up my services to, uh, people who want to hire a dungeon master because they either have never played before, uh, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have played RPGs before, so in that case I would say, uh, perhaps there is a game that you bought, uh, at a convention that you love, but you'll never ever ever get your, uh, your players to play it, um. But you can hire me to do it, um, or you can hire me to teach you any one of the games. Uh, or if you're, the, if you want to try to get other people into gaming, you can hire me as a dungeon master uh, to teach just you know straight up fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I do physical games uh, in uh, the southeastern Wisconsin area, um, but I also am going to be doing uh, Skype games for people who, uh, if, if you want to, you know, if you if you have a friend who moved away and you want to, you know. Run a, play a game with them, you can hire me to, uh, to do that as well. QuizCube um, Trivia and Dungeon, on, Dungeon Master On Demand are both uh, uh, on Facebook. So if you search on Facebook, you'll find them there. Like those pages and just send me a message and hopefully we can figure something out.
0: Sounds fantastic. We'll have links in the show notes so you can find all those. Uh, we've already got them hooked up and we'll put those out. So head over to GamingMBS.com forward slash 169 and you'll find those
1: Brett, what are we talking about next week, dude? Next week, we're going to talk about emergent character background, emergent character creation. Hobbs has mentioned it. Eli Kurtz has talked about it. So, uh, yeah, we'll dig into that next week, see where that takes us.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Gaming NBS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This has has been a Litterbox Studio Studio production. production.